1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 11. If you would please stand with me and give our hearts attention together as we hear God's words of life. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. This is God's holy word. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, For them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. O Christ in heaven, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, we need thee. We need thy power. Pour out thy spirit upon thy people. No doubt many here this evening are weary and their bodies are worn out from the day's labor. I pray, O God, thou wouldst come with the refreshing wind of thy spirit, lift our hearts Give us clarity of mind, and may we love our Savior with all of our heart and soul and mind. I pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. The spirit-breathed passage that we have just read explains why the Apostle Paul appointed Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Verse 3 says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Timothy was given a hard task. He was to charge false teachers who had entered the church at Ephesus 
to teach no other doctrine than the apostolic doctrine that Paul had preached. In verse 4, Paul made clear that he thought, or what he thought about the false teacher's corrupt doctrine. He called it fables, endless genealogies which minister questions, vain jangling. In other words, it was toxic religious deception. Nonsense. Not truth. The goal of Paul's commandment to Timothy is beautifully set forth in verse 5. Love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. That's what pure doctrine empowered by the Spirit of God, does do in, in Christians, in regenerate souls. Verse 6 introduces the sober subject of apostasy. Some had swerved from the faith and turned aside to vain jangling, noise, useless noise. In verse 7, Paul says that the false teachers wanted to be teachers of the law. And without apology, he explicitly states that the false teachers did not know what they were talking about. They did not understand what they were saying or the things on which they insisted so confidently. Then in verses 8 through 10, the apostle affirmed that God's law is good when men use it the way God intended. Paul's list of sins indicates that he was talking about the power of God's law to expose sin. And it is a, a mighty power. At the end of verse 10, he mentions sound doctrine, which leads to verse 11. Paul moves from the proper use of the law to the false teachers. Oh, I'm sorry, he, he moved from the proper use of the law, which the false teachers were handling ignorantly, <clears throat> to what he calls sound doctrine which is according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The gospel is the measure of other doctrine. That means that all doctrine preached in the name of Christ must be in harmony with God's glorious gospel. And what do we mean by the word glorious? It's, it's kind of like furniture in a church, right? It's like the pews. It's just part of the religious vocab. But we often don't stop to think what the word means. What does it mean and, and do we use it right? God's glory is the majestic Radiant, outshining, and splendor of his divine perfections. So here it indicates 
that God's gospel is glorious because God is glorious. It is his message. It shows his wisdom. It shows his power. It shows his mercy, his grace, his love. And we could go on. The gospel is glorious because God is glorious. And verse 11 gives a beautiful contrast. God's law reveals the sinfulness of men. And God's gospel reveals the glory of God in the salvation of sinners. We can put it another way. When we consider sinful human beings by the light of God's law, we see depravity and imperfections. When we consider the gospel of the person and work of Jesus Christ, we see the majesty, the radiant glory of his eternal perfections and his gospel message. The title of this message asks a question. What makes God's gospel glorious? What makes God's gospel glorious? And may our gracious Heavenly Father, the power of His Spirit, in the name of Christ, help us as we consider five answers to the question. Number one, God's gospel is glorious because of its origin. <clears throat> Paul's gospel originated with the blessed God. It is the gospel of the blessed God, not from sinful man. The context makes clear that God's gracious purchase a purpose of redemption existed in the perfect, fathomless depths of his holy mind before he created the world. Paul expressed it this way in 2 Timothy. God hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That is glorious. That is a message that is glorious. That God loved us before the foundation of the world. That we were his before he said, let there be light. No message no information, no data is greater than the knowledge of the message God has given us in Christ Jesus the Lord. It began in God's infinite glory, mercy, love, grace, kindness. I repeat, the glorious gospel reveals the glorious God. The gospel is a heavenly report of God's eternal purpose to save his people from their sins. Not so they can sin, but to save them from the power of sin. 
the pleasures of sin. From the punishment of sin. And the day will come when we will be all together out of the presence of sin. This is God's message. There's nothing else like it. Nothing comes close. The minds of men could never have conceived it. Wouldn't have conceived it. And in their natural state, don't believe it. Paul said this to the Thessalonians. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel, by our good news. By our glad tidings. The gospel is a message. It's a heavenly report. It's words that we must understand and believe. He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his infinite wisdom, grace, mercy, and love, God perfectly designed everything infinitely necessary to save and preserve his people for eternity. Did we get that? <laughs> Let me say that again. In his infinite wisdom, there's not a soul in here that understands that. Beginning right here behind the pulpit. I can say those words. But this finite man cannot grasp infinite. You can't either. Infinite wisdom, grace, mercy, and love. God perfectly designed everything infinitely necessary to save and preserve his people for eternity. Human ears have never heard a greater message than that God loves sinners and saves them. The gospel is glorious because it's Good news. It's God's news to us. It's from eternity to finite sinful men in history. This gospel is glorious because of its origin. The mind of God. His purpose. But there's more. There's much more. The second answer to the question, what makes God's gospel glorious, is this. It is glorious because of whom it involves. 
It's glorious because of whom it involves. As Paul's letters to Romans and Ephesians reveal, the gospel is God's heavenly report, a message from heaven to earth about God's eternal purpose, God's purpose of grace, God's purpose of grace in Jesus Christ the Son. The Father purposed this glorious salvation. His Son would accomplish it as the God-man, Jesus the Christ. And the Holy Spirit would effectually apply it to sinners that were dead in trespasses and sins. Not hurt, not wounded. Dead in trespasses and sin. First, let us consider the glorious one who planned it. This connects to our first answer. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Are you beginning to get the sense of the fact that this is all of God? We would never know there was a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit, had God not given us the holy revelation of that. We would never know that his Son, that man that died a criminal's death, was the God-man without the revelation that God has given to us. This is purely supernatural. The glorious one who planned it, God the Father, according as he has chosen us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we believers should be holy and without blame before him in love. The whole project is holy love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, in his way, in his time, with his power, and with his message, he saved your soul. If you are converted here tonight, it isn't because you're smart. It's not because you figured it out. It's not because you did anything that could twist God's arm and make him receive you. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing. You didn't help him save you. He predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He knew when you were conceived in your mother's womb. He knew before that moment, before you were something, before you were someone, he knew you were his. And he ordained every step of your life until he brought you heart first to his son. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Every single step of your life 
foul as it may be on one hand, was in his purpose and in his grace. He killed his son for people like me and you. The world doesn't want that message. But he purposed that you would receive it. He didn't say, oh, there's one of them down there in Florida that got it. I'm so glad. No, he sent the Spirit to open your eyes, to open your heart. He breathed life into you that immediately showed itself in repentance and faith in that message that the world despises. The gospel is glorious because we could never have conceived it. God did. God, the infinitely wise, the infinitely holy, almighty Father perfectly conceived a way to save his people from their sins. And it is perfect. There's nothing flawed about it. Everyone that lays hold of the Son is saved now and will be for all eternity. That is the promise of God. That's a glorious message. That is a glorious gospel. It shows forth, it shines forth the glory of God. As we continue to consider whom it involves, the next one is the glorious one who accomplished it. Not only the Father that purposed it, there never has been, there is not now, and there never will be anyone exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be like him, but we will never be him. We will be eternally in union with him. But he is the only eternally begotten Son of God. We had a beginning. Jesus never did. Or I should say, the eternal Son never did. The man Jesus had a beginning in Mary's womb. But the Son of God has been God the Son for all eternity. He is... He was, he is the eternal Son of God. He is the one that God the Father appointed to carry out his plan of salvation. In his letter to the Ephesians, again, Paul has said, in whom we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. We have been purchased out of the slave market of sin and death by the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Our Father in heaven has given his Son the greatest treasure that we could possibly have. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart right now is either at the right hand of the Father or it isn't. Where's your treasure? Who is your treasure? If you're born of God's Spirit, Christ is the treasure you will never part with for anyone 
or anything. When he pours out the riches of his grace, there are no treasures in this world that can compare. Again, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. What an unbelievably unthinkable, incredible swap. What kind of deal did Jesus get? If I can put it that way. Stop and think about it. He gave himself the sinless son of God. For us, never anything but sinful in our nature as humans. Thankfully, the Spirit of God gives us a new heart. Thankfully, the Spirit of God takes up residence within us so that even though this flesh fights us every way, every step on our journey to glory, He gave Himself for us, His perfect life, for our foul and corrupt lives. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And it goes further and purify. It isn't just that our sin debt is canceled. That's true. Praise the Lord. But he makes us holy people. He purifies us. Purifies unto himself a peculiar people. Peculiar there doesn't mean oddball. To the world, a lot of Christians look just like oddballs. But, but a peculiar people means his own special people. We're God's. We have been purchased by the blood of his son. And we do not own ourselves we are bought property and we ought to live like it zealous of good works if you are not fired up to serve Christ Jesus let, let's get clear if you're not fired up to obey him to search this book and say what today what do you want me to do today how do you want me to live today? How do you want me to think today? When I open my mouth, what do you want to have come out of my mouth today? When my passions stir up, when my flesh feels the world calling, what do you want me to do today? Because that's my joy. Just show me. Tell me. Teach me. Empower me. And help me to walk with you. Are you zealous of good works? God's people are. They're zealous. If your version of grace, if I can put it this way, just leaves your bottom in the pew, you have not understood the word of God. You should be zealous to get up and go for the living Christ. Pewsters are not the same necessarily as converted people. Anybody can get up and go to church. 
but it takes a new heart to obey Christ in all things. It takes a new heart to desire Christ in everything. And he's worthy. Well, again, Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Again, being justified freely, being declared righteous freely by his, God's grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Over and again, the scriptures tell us about Jesus accomplishing for us this so great salvation. This glorious redemption. This purchase of blood. This new life as a new creature with a new heart. With a new purpose. A new goal. Why are we like that? Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what this all looks like. Open up Matthew. Open up Mark. Open up Luke. Open up John. And watch Jesus live for his Father. And it took him all the way to the cross to purchase folk like us. This is a glorious gospel because of who accomplished it. God's gospel is glorious because his eternal son became man to do what God cannot do. God, and we all know the answer to that here, God cannot die. God cannot die. But the God-man could and did and rose again from the, from the grave. We are freely, freely, freely justified because Jesus Christ was set forth as the propitiation through faith in his blood. Still one of my favorite words in the Holy Scriptures, propitiation. It's only there four times. It's an appeasement. In the context of what we see in Scripture, it, it means a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. It's so easy for us to miss this extraordinary part of it. We've heard it many times, but we need to hear it all the time. God, the Father who purposed this salvation, turned away his own wrath in the blood of his Son. He satisfied his broken laws, his outrage and anger toward sin. He turned away his own wrath. That's love. That is a love beyond our comprehension. A holy love that when we truly see it and drink deep from it, it changes us. We stop living our selfish, self-worshipping lives and stumble under our cross following him. This is a glorious gospel. This is a glorious report from heaven. God's son accomplished everything necessary 
to save us. Jesus Christ, the God-man, died in agony upon Calvary's cross as the sin-bearing substitute for all who believe. All who repent of their sins, change their minds about their sins, and look to Christ for pardon. Look to Christ for righteousness. They do not come and say, oh, look, I've read the Bible. False righteousness. It's not gonna, you're, that's a, a filthy rag. Oh, well, I was a little better this week than last week. It's not enough to keep you out of hell. It's not a righteousness that satisfies God. Remember, the scripture says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You have righteousness. You know that. But not one of them will save you. I was baptized. Well, good. Christ commands that. But you, you're baptized because you've repented and believed on him by his grace. There's nothing you can raise your hand in the group of human beings standing before God and say, I deserve it. I deserve your goodness, your kindness. I deserve to be forgiven. It doesn't happen. It's all because of Christ. All of it. All of it. Not only this, but Paul declared that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This glorious revelation that God has given us. God's gospel is glorious. It shows the radiant outshining of his wisdom, of his grace, of his mercy, and of his love. His power, his knowledge. God's gospel is glorious because we could never have accomplished it. We couldn't have conceived it. We couldn't have accomplished it. And that brings us to this. This gospel is glorious because of the one who applies it. Paul had also written to the Ephesians, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, nasty, Foul, filthy, and perverse sins. He hath quickened us. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. In other words, the Holy Spirit makes spiritually dead sinners alive and then brings them into spiritual union of life in Christ. The only way... One sinner ever makes it through the gates of splendor, the gates of glory. It's because the Holy Spirit found you. God, God in his mercy, God in his love sent his, his heat-seeking missile, so to speak, right at your heart. He sent the Spirit to deal with you. Why did you see your sins? Why were you broken over your sins? 
Why in the world did you go from being a rational human being to someone who believed that a man who died a criminal's death rose from the dead and then somehow went up into heaven and now he's governing the universe? Who would believe that? Who would believe that to save their immortal soul? People whose hearts have been opened by the Spirit. That's who. That's exactly who. This gospel is glorious. Every single aspect of it is glorious. It magnifies God. It shows you things about God that you and I would never have thought of. Things that we would never, never have conceived. Never. Why? Are you ready? Why would he save you? Is it because you're so wonderful? Are you so great? Are you so smart? Are you so pretty? Are you so handsome? Are you so gifted? Can you really figure out math, quantum math? I mean, I mean, can you? Oh, I bet you can play football. Ah, aren't you wonderful? No. Why would God save you? This book says because he loved us before we ever existed. And then in his time, in this world, he sent the power that created the world. He sent the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to open your heart and bring you out of darkness into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. And he gave you everything that you needed to walk with him. Everything. Our Heavenly Father sends His Spirit to produce light in darkened hearts, life in dead hearts, power in powerless hearts. Our Heavenly Father sends His Spirit. He sends His Spirit. When the Spirit performs this miracle, and it is nothing short of a miracle, every person born of God. Do you hear those words? You and I use them. Do we stand in awe of them? Born of God. When he performs that miracle, the first, the first expression of real life is, I see the darkness of my sins. I see that I deserve God's judgment. I see that I deserve hell. And I believe the promise God made in the gospel. Why would you do that? You weren't doing it before. God found you. You didn't find him. That's a glorious gospel. That is a glorious gospel. Paul puts it this way to Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Mercy is something that you show to someone who does not deserve it. To be merciful means you recognize that someone is in a situation who can't 
get himself out of it. Mercy therefore comes to the one who cannot do and does what needs to be done. God sends that spirit and breathes life. And it comes forth in repentance and faith in the risen Savior. By his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. These are some of the most astonishing words in the biblical vocabulary because of the idea behind it. We would still be in darkness. Some of us would just be in hell. But God found us. And he breathed that glorious life that said, I believe, I believe that report. God's gospel is glorious because we could never have received it. We couldn't conceive it. We couldn't accomplish it. We couldn't receive it. And we could never have applied it to ourselves. There's no button. Just find that button. Where's, where's that big free will button so I can tell, I can tell God you can save me now? It's not there. There is one, one work. It's called regeneration. And that brings people from death to life. Well, got to go just a little bit further. It's not only astonishing and glorious because of the one who purposed it, because of the one who accomplished it, because of the one who applies it. It's glorious because of those who receive it. In 1 Timothy 1.15, where we've been, Paul, uh, uh, meaning in the, in the letter to Timothy, Paul declares to Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Now, when the Bible says that, it's saying something paramount. It is saying to you, God has a message. That message is worthy of your faith. You should believe it in otherwise. There's absolutely no other message like it. This is the most astonishing thought that a human mind can ponder. It's true if you will sit down and think about it. The triune God who is infinitely holy lavishes his immeasurable love upon wicked hell-deserving sinners. There isn't one good thing about them that would make God say, well, I'll save that one. <laughs> that one's a little better than the one over there. No. Every single human being on this planet deserves nothing but God's everlasting damnation. And in his mercy, he purposed, he sent his son, and the son sent the spirit to bring us to what? A message. To hear words. 
It isn't like a thunderbolt flashes out of the sky. But it's more powerful than what it, what it does. It's more powerful than any thunderbolt. It opens the wicked hearts of men and women and children. God saves sinners. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, lavishes love upon sinners. Self-exalting, self-worshipping, self-centered sinners. Christ declared, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the sinners wouldn't believe it. Except the power of the Spirit fell upon them. Paul could say, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The United States of America. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. It will not happen. Because that's what we are without Christ. I knew a, a girl that was in the school I used to teach in. She was the daughter of a, a very fine, devout Christian parents. And she was a, a sweet little girl, grew into a, uh, a teenager who was very pleasant, very pleasant to be around. I mean, the kind of person that almost just seems to be a Christian. And in time, the Lord opened her heart. And she and I and some others were going to a conference together. And I said, well, what, what was it like when the Lord dealt with you? I mean, you always seemed to obey your parents. You always seemed to be in a, a, a good mood. She, she was always cheerful. She was never you know, aggressive. I mean, it was just, wow. Where did you come from? And I said to her, so what kind, of, what kind of change has there been? You know, it doesn't seem like there could be a huge change. And she looked at me and she said, oh, Brother Jeff. I will never forget the way she said that. Oh, Brother Jeff, you didn't know what was going on in my heart. God changes the heart. And while she didn't go from a life like a motorcycle gang woman to, oh, now she's wonderful. She knew that when the Spirit of God dealt with her, what a sinner she was. That's God's work. People may look okay and be rotten and damnable to the core. And she was, sweet as she was. It was wonderful when the Lord opened her heart. Now, remember, it says you won't inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. But ye are washed. You're different. 
You're different, not because you figured it out, but because God did something to you. You were washed. <clears throat> you are sanctified, set apart by the power of God's Spirit to live and walk in the light of Christ. But ye are justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Washed, sanctified, justified. Is that not glorious? What else does Paul say? Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Whom he did foreknow, whom he did predestinate, whom he did foreknow. What does it tell us? Well, he justified them. But the part that's really astounding, amazing as it is that we would be forgiven and declared righteous, we will be glorified. We don't start off glorious. The gospel is always glorious. But when we repent and believe, Glorious is our future. We will be glorious because we will be like Jesus. Your ears, my ears, have never heard a better report. There is no other message on the planet that brings forth and brings out and magnifies the glories of God like that Simple message. The God-man bled and died and rose again to save his people from their sins. There are books, whole books written about the attributes of God as seen in the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. All of this drove the apostle John to proclaim, Behold, look, look, I want your attention. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That's what we're talking about. How glorious is this gospel that comes to people like us. It isn't people that are trying hard enough. It isn't coming to people that have got the edge on someone else. It comes to people such as you and me. The Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Everybody in here, if we really understood this more clearly, we'd all be glad just to be forgiven. Just forgiven. But God does not stop there. He heaps the riches of Christ upon us. It's beyond our imaginations. We're called the sons of God. The sons and daughters of God. God's gospel is glorious because sinful human beings cannot save themselves. The holy God of heaven and earth reaches down in grace and mercy and love to, to who and what we are. God-hating rebels. Enemies of God, the scripture says. I've had people, when I would tell them, 
we get into a discussion, I begin to tell them about the things of Christ. And when I would say, well, now, do you not understand that you're God's enemy? Oh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't go to church and all of that. And I don't, I don't care a whole lot about what you all believe. But I mean, you know, there's, there's a God. I said, oh, you hate him. No, I do not. I said, the word of God says that you hate him. Not only that, you're his enemy, but this is the bigger problem. He's your enemy. You will not win that battle. God is your enemy unless you are in his son. It isn't as though there's some neutral zone that we can kind of float around in for a while. Neutral, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to heaven, but I'm not going to hell. No, no. You are on your way to eternal destruction unless you repent of your sins and believe on Christ. Believe that gospel message that the God-man, Jesus Christ, died upon Calvary's blood, his very life's, uh, Calvary's cross, his life's blood poured out of him to pay the penalty for the sins of those who come. That's why Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, come unto me. There's still more. There's just more. And I can tell you, once I've expended my entire message, the gospel is so much more than one of my frail little sermons. Number three, quickly, the gospel is glorious because of what it accomplishes. It's glorious because of its origin. It's glorious because of who purposed it, who accomplished it, who applies it, and who receives it. But it's also glorious because of what it accomplishes. The magnitude and the scope of Christ's saving work is so immense, so vast, that mortal minds can scarcely take it in. Passage after passage of Scripture trumpets the glory of Christ's saving works. He cannot, and we cannot, consider just in one message all that Christ accomplished. It's too far-reaching. But at the very least, at the very least, I mentioned simply two, justification. Justification is the declaration. It's what God says about you. It's not what he does to you. It's what God says about you. The judge sits in judgment. And when you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge says, justified. You are righteous because of the righteousness of my son. I have taken his glorious robe of righteousness and covered you with it. And sanctification. Sanctification is what God does in us and with us. It is powerful by the power of his mighty spirit. He draws us to follow him, to walk after him. 
to read his word, to understand his word, to take our, so to speak, marching orders from our glorious captain and walk with him day in and day out and fight the battles that he brings us into. Oh, he never sends us in without going with us. Never. He never leaves it up to us. He's always with us. Oh, my friends, I could spend so much time here. Let me just run on. Number four, God's gospel is glorious because of its goal. Not only what it accomplishes, our salvation, our justification, our sanctification, and of course, our glorification. We're going to be like Jesus. Paul announced to the Roman Christians, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He predestinated us not just to justify us, but to glorify us. I don't know what that's going to look like. I know that it's going to be like Christ, 1 John 3, 1. I know it's better than what I am right now. Whatever else I can say about it, I will not be wrestling and struggling with this flesh anymore. My mind will not run out to the dark edges. It will not be tempted by one demon. I will be like Jesus. What message have you ever heard that even comes close to this? The goal is astonishing. Oh, well, you know, we're going to win the gold cup this year. That will burn when God burns everything else up in this planet. Oh, my friend, the goal. Christ will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Ah, do you know that's what your eyes were made for? Whatever else you may delight to use your eyes for. They are going to be glorified. And we will see Christ in his infinite beauty. We will behold him. And we will see him face to face. You tell me a goal of human beings. That even comes close to that. It doesn't exist. And lastly. God's gospel is glorious because of how sinners receive it. How hard do I have to work? You can't work hard enough. What do I have to pay? You've got nothing to pay with. What can I possibly do to get this God attracted to me? Nothing. How do sinners receive it? It's all of grace, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Is that not glorious? I mean, if you're going to use the word glorious, you got anything better to tack it on? Do you think about the glory of the gospel? Oh, friends, you can't buy 
the the salvation you cannot merit salvation never your good works your bible reading your baptism your church attendance your strivings your spiritual wrestlings never they will not get salvation for you you can't make it ours by weeping by begging by scheming by fasting by doing great and incredible feats in the name of god that will not save us ever The Ephesians were no strangers to Paul's doctrines of grace, yet false teachers had perverted them with vain jangling. It could happen to people here unless we stop and by God's grace think about this glorious gospel. Live in it day by day. There's so many Christians that act like the gospel is just the door by which I go into the bigger things. You never outgrow the gospel. Never. You need it every day. You need to remind yourself when those wicked thoughts come to your mind, when those wicked words come out of your mouth and attitudes that are damnable, and those acts that you do when no one is watching, you need the gospel every day. Every day. You feast on it. You don't outgrow it. So, that's glorious. God's glorious gospel reveals God's glorious saving purposes in the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. No wonder Paul refers to it as the glorious gospel of the blessed God. No wonder he wanted to restore it in Ephesus. The glorious gospel alone is the hope for the forgiveness of our sins and everlasting life. The glorious gospel alone is the standard by which we must measure our doctrine, the Christian life, and the order of Christ's church. Is this a gospel church? There's gatherings all over the city tonight, but they're not churches necessarily. What makes this a church? It's people made new by the Holy Spirit who've repented of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and who desire first to worship that glorious God, that saving God, and want to be with people who've been saved the same as they. May we ever bless him for the great good news. May we believe this glorious report from heaven that we might know everlasting life in Christ Jesus. The glorious gospel reveals the glorious God. May his name be blessed forever. Amen. What are we without thee, O Lord Jesus? What were we? Where would we be tonight? Lord, would would we be homeless? Would Would be... Drunkards, Lord God, would we be whoremongers, adulterers, fornicators? That's what comes out of the flesh. That's what comes out of our hearts. Liars, thieves, maybe even an eternal judgment. Lord Jesus, you love us. Your gospel message says so. For those who don't know thee, wouldst thou come and help them to believe that message? 
the crucified, the resurrected Savior. And for those of us who know it, may we ever be praising thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please stand with me. Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. Let us go in the name of Jesus Christ.